The patient voice is at the heart of absolutely everything that we do. And the patient experience is what I suppose has drawn me to medicine and continues to inspire me every day. I'm delighted to be hosting this new UCD School of Medicine podcast series, MGA Clinical Influencers. No doubt lots of our listeners are familiar with the MGA or Medical Graduates Association. But for those of you who aren't, the MGA plays a vital role in keeping you, our School of Medicine graduates, in touch with their fellow alumni across Ireland and around the world. As a global and diverse School of Medicine, UCD naturally has been greatly enriched by attracting highly talented clinical academics who graduated from other Irish or international medical schools. They are now valued members of our UCD community, and you will hear from them too. The MGA is your organization, offering you a lifelong partnership with UCD School of Medicine. During this podcast series, where episodes will go out every two weeks, graduates will give us a trip down memory lane when describing their time at UCD and on some occasions in other schools of medicine and their experience as junior doctors. They will discuss their stellar careers in their chosen specialty and the highlights and the challenges they encountered during their careers and how they share their expertise and coach others. On a personal level, they will discuss how they manage a decent work-life balance where that's possible and books for us to enjoy and holiday locations we should be thinking about. Our interviewees have compelling stories to tell that will spark your curiosity about life in the clinical specialty they have chosen. I am Professor Murish Fitzgerald, Emeritus Professor of Medicine and Therapeutics at UCD. I was Professor of Medicine and Consultant Physician at St. Vincent's University Hospital from 1977 to 2006, and Dean of the UCD School of Medicine from 2000 to 2006. Importantly, I'm also a proud UCD graduate from the class of 1964. Today I'm meeting with a distinguished clinical academic in UCD, Professor Finola Nionle. Professor Nionle is a full clinical professor at UCD, consultant hematologist at the Mater Misericordiae University Hospital and the Rotunda Hospital, and is the clinical lead in hematology, hemostasis, and maternal hematology at those hospitals. She's an internationally recognized expert in the diagnosis and treatment of venous thromboembolism, VTE, and has particular expertise in conducting clinical trials for VTE. In our conversation, I leave it to her in her responses to uh, deal with all the other accomplishments she's achieved over the years. But first, uh, Fanula, if I can call you that, you're a TCD graduate of 2000, the millennial year. Can we put you in the time capsule to go back to that time, to your medical student days? 
Did you always uh, want to be a doctor? What are your salient experiences of that period of time? And who were the clinical and preclinical teachers that made an impression on you? Thank you. It's it's lovely to join you here today, Professor. And yes, I, I graduated from Trinity College and now I'm on the faculty in UCD and proudly working in the Matter Hospital and the Rotunda Hospital. But yes, my college years were spent in Trinity College Dublin, which was a wonderful place to do an undergraduate. Obviously, a campus steeped in history and beauty and a place where I made lifelong friends um, who have influenced me in so many ways and who I still look to for mentorship. I think one of the fondest memories I have from that time is um, even from the very beginning of our medical school days, we were encouraged to, you know, meet meet with families and meet with patients from the very beginning, even before our preclinical days. And that really resonated with me because the patient voice is at the heart of absolutely everything that we do. Absolutely. And the patient experience is what I suppose has um, drawn me to medicine and continues to inspire me every day. I was really fortunate actually during my medical preclinical years and clinical years to be mentored by Professor Suzanne Donnelly, who is now I'm honoured to call a colleague in um, the Matter Hospital and UCD. And she in particular was a teacher who inspired me deeply. Um, At the time, she was engaging, uh, pioneering um, advocate of of, um, patient centred learning and inspired us all from the very beginning. And um, really, she she inspired all of us to, to, to do our very best in terms of um, learning as much as we could from each other, which was a really interesting um, teaching method, but also to strive for excellence on behalf of our patients. It's terrific when you have those role models so early in your career. And then uh, leaving the halcyon days of uh, the student life in Trinity and the Trinity teaching hospitals, clutching your parchment uh, on graduation day and getting ready for the somewhat daunting prospect of being an intern and junior doctor and going into your training. Um, Where did you work uh, as as a junior doctor? What was that experience like, the good and the bad? And who influenced you there? You mentioned Dr. Donnelly in the earlier period. I actually began my internship in St. James's Hospital and then was very lucky to secure a place on the Matter Hospital training programme as a senior house officer. Subsequently, I had always a a, a passionate interest in haematology, which actually began during my uh, Trinity days. Um, So I had had the enormous good fortune to to meet Professor Owen Smith in those days. I had been doing a project in physiology quite by, um, it was a lovely, a lovely coincidence. Um, and I have to say that I was hooked on hemostasis and hematology from, from the word go. He inspired me and um, really ignited a, a joy in the coagulation cascade and all things thrombosis. Um, he had been doing some phenomenal work at the time on the role of protein C concentration in a, in a very, um, very terrible condition called purple fulminans in, in small children. I suppose that drive stayed with me throughout my um, 
early junior doctor years and then um, leading me into a career in haematology. So your, your mind was made up. You were a lucky person. Very. So many people uh, are agonising with mm. choices in their career. So uh, you were there from the word go. I was very fortunate. A blessed state, a lot of uh, previous graduates would say. You then go to your specialty training and where was that and who did you work for? Hematology training takes place over five years and I worked in many hospitals around the country, had the most wonderful um, initial experience in Waterford, then moved back to Vincent's where again I was so lucky to have the mentorship of um, Professor Karen Murphy. Um, who, like me now, is a, is a specialist in thrombosis and maternal haematology. And yeah. I think that was a formative time for me because through working with um, Professor Murphy, I had the wonderful experience of um, learning about um, complex disorders that affect pregnant women. Um, postpartum hemorrhage and venous thromboembolism, their blood clots in pregnancy, are amongst the... I suppose the leading causes of tragically things that kill pregnant women. So for me, this was, again, another career defining moment. I knew through working with Karen at the time that this was something that I would be very interested in pursuing as as a long term career. So you were blessed again by uh, having that that, uh, passion for uh, an area of unmet need, which is is a a wonderful thing that, that you have a sense of mission uh, right away. You felt that. Yeah, so what's what's really interesting and challenging about um, providing care to pregnant women with um, hematological disorders, with thrombosis, with bleeding issues, is that we have to work as a team. We have to yes. work as a yeah. multidisciplinary team, often across many different campuses. Yeah. And um, that team... Um, can be a joy to to see in action and it's so beautifully exemplified now in in the matter and in the rotunda through my colleagues on the maternal medicine multidisciplinary team there led by professor jennifer donnelly so similarly to the experience that i had working with karen murphy in um st vincent's and hollow street it's just wonderful to have been able to have had the the great fortune of being able to pick up on that area of of interest and and unmet need. Well, that team esprit is so energising, really, isn't it? And it's a wonderful contrast to the Lone Ranger type of uh, method of clinical practice uh, from decades ago, happily gone now. Um, There's a place for individuality, but teamworking is is, uh, so much better from the patient's point of view. And uh, did you... Have your training outside of Ireland or was it all within Ireland? Again, I was incredibly fortunate once again because um, when I finished my specialty training, I had the opportunity to undertake um, a PhD through the Molecular Medicine Ireland um, Clinician Scientist PhD scheme, similar to, I suppose, the ICAP programme that is working now. And yeah. again, I was very, very lucky to to. Um, have the rare um, chance of working with uh, Professor James O'Donnell, who was my um, supervisor at the time and, and was absolutely um, 
the, this was the, the, the most remarkable opportunity that I could have had at the time. So and he was based where? He was also based in Trinity and right. St. James's, so back to Trinity. Yeah. So I finished my PhD there and um, in this world-class training environment. Um, sure. Yeah, that, that I think has sowed the seeds for the research group that I now lead today. That's, um, the, that's tremendous. And your first consultant post then, when, when did that occur? I started work as a consultant in the Rotunda in 2011 and um, that was in a locum position but again I think it was meant to be and very shortly afterwards um, a full-time substantive post was was advertised between the Rotunda Hospital and the Matter Hospital and that's where I have worked ever since. I suppose you'd be described academically as being in mid-career, I'm talking about a lifelong career the middle of a lifelong career, but obviously there have been quite a lot of highlights along the way. I mean, what, what, what are your highlights and the things you're, you're, you're most proud of? The people I'm most proud of are the people that have had the privilege of mentoring. To see students, early career investigators, grow in confidence, grow in strength, submit their own research proposals, publish their own papers and work together as a team. And to see them coming up with ideas of their own and to see their own talents, their own unique talents um, shine. I think that is the single most, you know, most most inspiring thing that I've had the privilege of enjoying. It's terrific to see that flowering, isn't it? It certainly is. Mm. With highlights, there there have to be lowlights in this life. Uh, Maybe you've not had any lowlights, but I'm sure there were times when there were some major challenges uh, that you came up against in your career, times when your knowledge is your skin, skills or your personal resources uh, were really challenged in the face of bad clinical dilemmas or research dilemmas. We don't want you to bear your soul completely, but uh, could you talk a little bit about that? It's a fantastic question. And um, I think like many clinicians. The COVID-19 pandemic, um, I think, posed one of the greatest, not only societal challenges, of course, but also challenges to us as a medical community. We were learning from scratch, dealing with a new disease for which we had absolutely no evidence um, in terms of our therapeutic modalities. Particularly, COVID-19 transpired to be a um, very aggressive disorder in terms of the way it manifested, um, you know, the, the, the complications that affected blood clotting. So the way that COVID-19 causes blood clots is absolutely unique. And from the very beginning of the pandemic, it became very apparent that we were dealing with a very different type of blood clotting and one that we needed to tackle, but for which we had no tools. As a community, we began to hypothesise about particular therapeutic opportunities, but we also wondered whether um, anticoagulation might be useful um, as a therapeutic strategy in COVID-19. And the reason we thought this was, I suppose, many of us have worked on anticoagulants for years and have observed the ability of anticoagulants not just to act as blood thinners, but also to make a difference to vascular biology, to change the way in which the cells that line our blood vessels, you know, function. So 
it was a very interesting hypothesis. My junior colleague, Dr. Barry Cavan, has done a huge amount of work in this area. But it's a big leap from a hypothesis to a therapeutic option. And I, I was, again, incredibly lucky um, to have the mentorship and the partnership of leaders like Professor Peter Doran and colleagues like those in the UCD yeah. Clinical Research Centre. And also, um, it was just, you know, out of something terrible came a global partnership, you know, like never yeah. before um, clinicians, scientists, um, multidisciplinary partners, patients from all around the world came together to yeah. answer questions yeah. that were important for our patients. We became involved, we were very fortunate to become involved in an academic um, clinical research um, study, a randomised trial called the RAPID trial. This was led by Dr. Michelle Schultzberg in Toronto. Um, under her leadership, an international community was rallied and UCDCRC took on the role of actually the European sponsor, which is a huge amount of work. Every single person on that team played a role, pulled out all the stops yeah. to make this trial a reality. And we found that the treatment, blood thinner called heparin, did make a difference in terms of um, patients' lives affected with COVID-19. It's quite extraordinary what war or pandemics can produce in, in people's response to it. And, and the innovation that they have to go into. It, it used to be a, a favourite question uh, to clinicians in interviews like this. How do you deal with ambiguity? There was no ambiguity about this. This was all to do with the unknown and lack of knowledge and then applying uh, the uh, appropriate techniques to uh, address that issue. So it's an extraordinary experience. Uh, we're going to switch now because that, that was hectic activity. So work-life balance, obviously, is logical follow-up to that. I mean, everybody talks about it and says it's a good thing, but it's a question of, you know, how do you do it? I mean, what's, uh, what's your approach? Uh, have you managed it yeah. or do you struggle it, with it like most people? Well, like everybody, there are great days and, and then not so organised days. Um, in general, look, I, I love what I do. I love my clinical work. I love my research. Um, I'm incredibly fortunate to have the most um, wonderful um, husband and partner and best friend, Ross um, Emerson, who... An asset for sure. Uh, so, well, we work as a team and yeah. we have two children and they're phenomenal as well. So I think you have yeah. to be really organised. You must be an expert on it then. So do you have any tips for our community of MGA people listening to this podcast. <laughs> I think everybody handles it their, their own way and has their own experiences and challenges. So in a career, you often think, even early in your career, about legacies. What will I leave behind? Uh, how will I influence people? And uh, how have you managed to pass on skills, knowledge, attitudes to your junior doctors? I, I think this comes back to, you know, mentorship and building up networks. So, yeah. you know, in the translational research group um, sphere that I co-direct with Patricia Maguire, my, my friend and phenomenal scientific colleague, I think as a team, we have... Um, you know, we we've we we have and and with with uh, Dr. Barry Cavan as well, we have put together a group um, that um, is very patient centred, answering clinically important questions, and I think that will continue and has established itself as a 
as a phenomenal group of young people who have really come through a terrible two years with COVID, but delivered beyond their wildest dreams. And it's, secondly, a, it's inspirational. They're phenomenal. And also we came together in response to, to patient, a call from our patients, our thrombosis patients, to form the Irish Network for VTE Research and Clinical Trials in, in 2018. We're a community of clinicians and scientists from all around the country. And that has taken a couple of years to come together, but it is such a strong network. And I think the story of the rapid trial has just shown how, you know, through networks, through communities, through partnerships, we can, you know, we can do academic trials, even in pregnancy, yeah. and impact on, on policy, on guidelines, and on patients' lives. Well, that collaborative approach in Ireland and extended beyond uh, to other countries. I mean, that, that's the way we're going to crack an awful lot of problems because there's a place for the lonely Einstein uh, in a monastic cell working away on a great concept. But uh, for an awful lot of medical problems, it's, it's a question of applying as much brain power collaboratively together. Okay. So I'm just going to get you to talk a little bit about change. Everybody says change in medicine is a bit like surfing. If you're not ready for the next wave, you're dead. Uh, so doing a little horizon scanning now, speculative, but I mean, what do you see as the major changes that might occur in education, training, research, the whole lot uh, in the future. I suppose the first thing I would say is I think we've seen really, really uh, a, a, almost a seismic change in the way that medical education can happen over the past two years. And, you know, it's no longer um, a lecture hall necessarily yeah. full of students. It happens on, you know, podcasts. Um, it happens on Twitter. It happens through conferences that bring together people in virtual um, settings rather than which is almost more equitable because it means that people yes. can gather from all around the world and the, the same barriers are not there. I think always of, of the most incredible podcast that is directed by Dr. Mohammed Hanza. It's called The Case Report. And I would actually um, encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast to to listen to it. It's, you know, FOMED and um, the ability of students to be learning on the bus on the way home, to log yeah. in, to communicate with each other and not to be afraid to ask questions. That has changed and yeah. that idea of snackable learning. What else? I think artificial intelligence will transform, I think, the way we practice. And that's yeah. certainly um, a space to watch. And I hope we will see many more academic clinical trials and, and students, being students and junior clinicians being brought in to gain experience in the running of academic trials, yeah. because I think this is um, how we can change um, yeah. practice. Well, you've heard it this evening, folks. Um, that's the horizon scanning uh, from Professor Neongle. We're going to switch gears now and go slightly off piste from the serious things. Uh, we're, we're talking about uh, all of life being reflected in medicine and all of life also being mirrored in the great literature. So we're going to talk books very briefly. I mean, have you any recommendations for our uh, eager audience out there who want a good tip about a book or something to do with improving themselves or enjoying themselves enjoying themselves yeah let, let's switch gear completely so every year i 
One thing I look forward to at Christmas is to get my Christmas present from my wonderful colleague, Professor Jennifer Donnelly, who's a maternal medicine specialist and, you know, one of my most influential mentors. And last year she gave me the most wonderful book written by an Irish author, Therin Nihriatha. And it's called mm. A Ghost in the Throat. Yes. Um, and it's wonderful. So it tells, a, tells the story of how she um, sought to tell the story of Eileen Dovnichone. So I think anything beyond that would be a spoiler. So I think that's a wonderful recommendation. I read it and was enthralled to it. A uh, very unique weaving of uh, the Irish tradition uh, uh, with loss and longing and love and the whole thing. Yeah. We're 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 still off piece now. We're 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 going to go to fanciful stuff now. Like, where should we go on our holidays? Do you have any hidden gems, left field suggestions, quirky, uh, or old reliables? Absolutely. So I think who knows where what the next year will bring. Hopefully, good things. Of course, the first thing we should do is stay safe. But if we if we can, I still think Ireland is so so unexplored by so many of us and. Two places that I love are the Aran Islands. Um, if you yeah. haven't been, um, you will, again, going, going back to our book theme, we'll have a yeah. wonderful um, opportunity to speak our own beautiful native language. Um, yeah. So the Aran Islands. And also, if you really would like to get away from it all, there are a set of beautiful log cabins in Port Lick on the banks of Loch Ree. Now, pe- people say that, you know, heroes and heroines, that age is gone. It's a romantic thing from the past. I mean, do, are there people who inspire you? And you're not ashamed to say yeah. who they are. Well, look, so many people inspire me. But from the word go, look, I, I, the people who, who inspired me from the very beginning are my parents. Um, yeah. So my mother, Ido Hoinla, um, she is the most phenomenal teacher I think that I have ever come across. So she um, taught for years in a and taught music in the most remarkable way throughout the entire school. Giving every she loves she loves children. She let every child shine. She never lost it, missed an opportunity to bring out the best in every child, be it people who are struggling with singing or with maths or with reading. She she always looked out for every every single child and her work and her energy and her drive and her talent inspired me from the very beginning. And um, she went on then to, after she retired, to do some work um, locally in Port Marnock and St. Helen's School. And they adored her for good reason. Um, she she is affected with Parkinson's disease under the superb care of my colleagues in the Dublin Neurological Institute. Um, and her bravery in living with this disease for the past 20 years has been inspirational. That's marvellous because... So often we think of heroes and heroines as being distant figures uh, in history, uh, but that restores the perspective, you know, that it's it's close by and uh, under your nose. And uh, it's a very moving story you've told there. And then we're down to a quote. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be in the English language or the Irish language or Latin. My favourite quote at the moment is, um, be yourself, everyone else is taken. <laughs> so that was given to me by my 14-year-old daughter, Moiran, um, 
And I suppose, look, um, to end on a very positive note, I think, the f- you know, the future is safe with this generation of children. Um, they care so deeply about the climate. They care so deeply about each other and have a different perspective on life. So I think our future is safe. Well, I think that's uh, an appropriate optimistic theme to uh, to end on. We really have been privileged to have you talk to us today. It's been really remarkable and mapping out your fascinating journey and you're the undisputed leader of the area of thromboembolism in Ireland. You have an awful lot ahead of you, many, many uh, productive years. Uh, We've hugely enjoyed being in conversation with you, to use the phraseology. Uh, it's, It's really been wonderful and I'd like to thank you on behalf of the Medical Graduates Association. Uh, it's been terrific. Tom Mila Buikis. Fulton down, Ruth Gamila Martin.